0: you academically and still maintain the the level that you're at so i don't know the world is changing it it doesn't feel like you're supposed to do just one thing anymore right um so i think This, this is
1: getting deep christian
0: All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another C-Squared podcast. We are here after the U.S. Chess Championship's conclusion with the two champions, Fabiano Caruana and Carissa Ip. Carissa, welcome to the pod. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: First time on the pod, maybe not the last time uh, also. (laughs) It's good to have you. You're one of the most exciting female chess players that came uh, from the United States in the past few decades. So um, definitely an honor for us to have you.
2: I'm happy to be here.
0: Tell us a bit about uh, the championship. Let's start with the champions. Who wants to start?
1: Oh, Chris, you go first.
0: You have the crazy <laughs> finish. Oh my why, god. Why don't we start with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just... I guess we could go through how I found out. Um, so after I lost, I was super disappointed in myself because, you know, I could have drawn at any point in the game. Um, and for some reason, I kind of lost my mind, blundered B5 there. And I was just really kicking myself for, you know, not making the right decision when it came down to it, and uh, taking the draw, and so you know I was not happy. No one was really happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm just like wallowing in my bed, thinking about what ice cream I'm gonna gouge on later that night. And I get this call from like a spam caller. I'm like, who's this? So I decline the call. They call again. Like, okay, pick up, and it turns out to be uh, Caleb from the club. Mm-hmm. He's like, Chris, it looks like. Jennifer's about to win, so you have to come back to the studio. I was like, what's happening? But, you know, I went back, I think on my way there, Begum resigned, so it was official and I was still in so much shock.
0: And that's also uh, kind of funny because even if you wanted to, you still wouldn't be able to follow everything that was happening because we had a 30-minute delay. So basically, you look at the game and they're still playing, maybe Begum is still winning or still better because she was winning from the beginning of the game.
2: Yeah, Um, I took a look at the position before I left, Um, and, you know, there's just looked like there's so much stress on both players because everything's on the line there. And, um, yeah, I think the position looked really complicated, but I also noticed Jennifer was lower on time than Begum, and I didn't really want to follow along because (laughs) I get super nervous watching people's games.
0: Yeah, no, that was actually, I would say, one of the most exciting finishes, crazy finishes that I've got to commentate on, um, at least at the US Champs. I mean, just one second, basically, could have decided that tournament, maybe less than a second, of course, we're talking. You you saw that moment, right?
1: Yeah, no, I'm actually interested in, like, what when you were playing in the final game and you made that decision to not go for a draw, was that because you generally always want to play for a win or was it because of the tournament situation you thought you... Had to win to secure first place
2: um honestly I do feel that I usually always sort of overpress for a win even if it's not necessary um, my last big tournament I was playing world juniors and you know there's one round where I could have taken a draw as well um, but I declined it and then I ended up losing and I was like half a point back in the standings um, and it just really set me back in the tournament and <laughs> I really should have learned my lesson then but You know when it came down to it i feel like sort of my instincts took over and i just felt that i really wanted to win um i really wanted to sort of secure the title without a playoff and i was looking at red begum's game you know while my game was still going on and again super complicated position but i felt that she should be doing well because she had like you know these two past pawns um i was like it's not looking really great for me right now Um, (laughs) so i guess i better Finish well, which I did not.
0: <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the World Juniors because uh, at the World Juniors you played against one of my students, uh, Bella, and you played these four knights. And then in the last round of the U.S. Yeah. champs, she decided to play the four knights against you. And by the way, in that game, you got a losing position out of the opening, but that's because you forgot what you were supposed to do. I would assume uh, it's such a complex line, and you did play one of the most aggressive ones. And if you do know a little bit more in that, then you can put some pressure on black. Um, what was your thought process, I guess, when you saw four Knights in the last round?
2: You know, after... you
0: deviated, you played yeah. this night DB5.
2: After my game against your student, your students have been causing me some problems. <laughs> <laughs> but after that game, I was like, um, I was really worried about anyone playing the four Knights against me because I was like, it kind of showed that, you know, my theory's not great in that line. And so... Uh, I didn't really have that much time to check up on it and when I faced the four knights again I knew that knight b5 the best move for black is to sort of just transpose into a Sveshnikov mm-hmm. um, and I also knew that like bishop c5 and bishop b4 just weren't really great options for black. Um, well, bishop
0: b4 is, is okay um, but you just have to know
1: it. I <laughs> you suffer. I, you I suffer. had, <laughs> I had a, a look at them both at some point but it, it, the four knights in general is, is a very very tough opening. And I have some Similar experiences as as you just mentioned playing and, and not being able to find any ideas in the Fortnite. So I, I understand the struggle.
2: You had that nice game at the World Cup, right?
1: Oh um, Bishop F four. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Bishop F four.
2: Yeah, I remember I was looking at that line and so I was spending a lot of time in the opening because I was like, I might know some stuff in Bishop F four. And I was like, I don't want to risk it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if
1: you haven't checked it that morning, that's like that's a super crazy line for anyone to play.
2: Yeah, so I thought I thought knight b five would be a safe bet. I knew that like this whole knight d six bishop f four, e five knight f five is really good for white. Um, I think after bishop g five, I just had to find bishop c four, and then white's doing really well. But kind of gone to my head a bit, and I said I should employ like you know this setup with uh, taking on f six, two knights controlling d five, and I felt that that would be an unlosable position.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean. You guys have completely different events, right? Yours felt like smooth sailing, basically very comparable to last year.
1: Yeah, I think it was definitely because uh, in mine it felt like people were struggling to kind of make strides. And then you and Begum were both like tearing through the event. Like four rounds before the end, it was like it, nobody else could had, had any chance, right? Even before that, it was kind of clear. that Crazy. But, and, and then it was just a question of like who would win this race. But it was, it was definitely exciting to watch. How How would you have felt in case of a playoff in case you had to play a playoff against Begum?
2: man if I had to do a playoff, have like another day of prep and then super stressful chess because you know, rapid stresses out quick chess usually does um I don't know wouldn't have been too happy about that, especially you know given my our standing's going into the last round. I think she also would have had like a psychological edge for being able to bounce back and Catch force up. that playoff yeah um. But I think overall, I would have liked my chances in the playoff. Uh, Rapid is one of my better time controls, and you know I feel confident enough in my openings and my prep that I think I would have been okay.
1: Actually, I just want to expand a bit on what you what you just mentioned when you talked about the, like the psychological edge, because I'm wondering if it's like more of a psychological edge to come back, or if maybe after coming back you feel like the job is done, and then you still have to play this other whole other thing. So you kind of maybe relax a bit early, like she wins a game, she she gets back into it, but still like she has this huge final hurdle. So maybe it's like psychologically kind of complicated as well.
2: Yeah, I think honestly in that position, usually I'm just, you know, I never really assume that if I'm like half a point behind that my opponent's going to lose and I could leapfrog. I always feel like, you know, it's going to come down to tie breaks or playoff or something and just being able to be in that position makes me... um, you know, it kind of, like, rejuvenates me for, for that next set of games and to ensure that I can finish well there. I
0: yeah. guess the way you have to look at it is just you put yourself in this position. Sure, maybe you've lost some ground in the last round, but you still put yourself in that position going into the last round, which is already a, a win, right? And competition is never smooth. Like, there's always something that goes wrong in every single tournament. You just have to adjust, basically. Um, Speaking of those last rounds, they have different rules. It feels like, right? Um, a player that usually doesn't do well in the event suddenly can have a great tournament and beat the top leader. Yeah.
1: Um, Once nerves get into it, what yeah. is it about those nerves of the last yeah, round? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's really the nerves. It's. I don't. Some people are more immune. Some people are are, are less immune to it. But everyone uh, is prone to messing up in those like really stressful moments. That's that's my feeling. Mm. Yeah,
0: and that actually happened in Norway, yeah? Uh, With you as well, more or less. (laughs) That that was just nerves. I remember. (laughs) Um, How did you, speaking of nerves, that miss rook to d1 in those last few moments. And you played it more or less fast.
2: What happened there? Um, You know, I think I was sort of calculating this position ever since I played rook d1, um, you know, and allowed her pawn to get to the second rank there. And I I spent all my time, um, I had, you know, probably a couple minutes left when I made my blunder, and I was just so, so, like, ultra-focused on one line that I wasn't giving enough thoughts to sort of of other options, and once I played it, I was like, oh my god, you know, she has, like, Rick D1 instead of, you know, something like taking on G1 and playing Rick F6, those sorts of things, Um, or Rick F6 immediately, which was all that I was calculating, and I think. There it's like an interesting line because White's two connected passers are fast enough. But, and I was like, oh my gosh, got <laughs> this in the bag. And then, and then I was like,
0: when did you cap? realize it? When you played B5, did you immediately realize I it? I
2: played B5, looked at the position and I was like, wait a second. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I was still like a little bit in shock then, I think, because it like hadn't fully processed and had this rationale for playing b5 i knew that was like a risky choice and i was like you know what if it turns out this variation is losing then like i don't even deserve to be (laughs) winning or like being the u.s women's champion because i can't make the right choices under uh, pressure
0: how do you rationalize rationalize that pressure those nerves like what do you do to adjust to it do you have any techniques both of you
1: um like what works individually for you Uh, let me let me think yeah it's it's definitely experience helps but Mm. um like the first time you have to you're fighting for i feel like this is also with titles like the first time when you're fighting for a title and you're trying to get your norms is always the most difficult and then once you finally get your final norm then suddenly you get like a bunch in a row that's that's how it Mm. happened with me every time it's like something about either the pressure of it or the accomplishment after so like do you feel like because you've already won the uh the US championship that it's easier the second time around? Or was it harder the first time for you?
2: Um, I think the tournament was easier for me the first time around and with in and a half, which was the same score. But, you know, no one was putting that sort of pressure on me and also playing super well. Um, but yeah, definitely I felt there wasn't as much pressure, you know. After I lost, I was sort of like, it's okay, I already Won the championship once and i would have been i would have been so distraught if you know i never won before and i just like given up my chance for the title um yeah
1: i have a memory from i think it was from your first win. was that where you beat nazi in one of the last rounds with the uh hippo Hippo? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm yes like i've noticed that a lot of your openings are very risky very double-edged is that do you just like that or is that just because that's what you learned uh, when you were younger
2: I just really like, you know, these setups with fianchettoing and my bishop. So, King's Indian is one of my favorites. Um, that game against Nazi when I played the hippo, I actually, I didn't think she would transpose into, uh, you know, a modern step with E4 and no C4. And so, she caught me off guard, and I was like, my God, she tricked me into the hippo. <laughs> this is not going to be good. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that was not one of my best games, but she... I think she tried to break through a little bit too soon. She yeah.
1: gave you a lot of pawns. You had like four connected pass pawns. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. Was, that must have been satisfying.
2: No, it was good. I think she blended with F4 or something. Mm. And when I saw him, I was like, thank goodness. Cause I didn't know what my next move was going to be.
0: Yeah. Uh, and We started with your most difficult moment of the tournament.
1: What was yours? Most difficult. Uh, I think maybe after I didn't win against Shanky. Hmm. Um, against Sam Shankland. Uh, and I really was like completely winning. Yeah, yeah. And after that, I had to play Hans. <laughs> and I, I understood that it would be a tough game because Hans really wanted to win. I could, I could tell. And uh, so I knew that would be a tough game. So definitely leading up to that game, that was the hardest moment. Mm. Was it the disappointment?
0: Because it's kind of like uh, not that difficult of a pill to swallow for the simple fact that, in fact, with that draw, you increased your lead in the tournament you went from half a point because Hans lost that round yeah so it was kind of uh you you were in both boats more or less you were feeling good that now you're one point in the lead you were also feeling bad that you just made a draw with the plus three advantage
1: yeah I, I looked at all the results and I was like everything couldn't have gone better except for what I did to, <laughs> in my own game but everything else was perfect I mean like yeah Hans Hans losing when he was trailing me by half a point and he was like right on on my tail and everyone else nobody like pushing forward besides that so that was like a bit better i didn't feel like huge pressure but it was still disappointing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's the most difficult one before the
0: last round did you have any let's say weak moments even if during a game you felt like oh i'm so completely losing i'm hopeless stuff like that or those thoughts i know you're
2: referencing my game against tusa during that game, I was, yeah, <laughs> there
0: we go. Let's talk about that.
2: During that <laughs> game, I actually thought I was like doing okay. I knew I was worse, but I felt that the position was like sufficiently complex enough that I would be able to confuse her a bit. Mm-hmm. That ended up happening. But I would say probably my worst moment of the tournament wasn't when you know I thought I lost the title, but it was when <laughs> it was after my game against Nazi when I drew, um, and I was just you know completely winning. I think out of the opening and into, like, the early middle game. I just had such a great position. I was up a pawn. Um, Her king was a bit weak, had the two bishops. You know, every sort of possible advantage. And um, I just blew it. I kind of let her back into the game, and she had this, like, unexpected defense by bringing her queen into the Mm -hmm. uh, queen side. And after that game, you know, Begum won a really nice game against Ruyang. Ruyang was actually, like, one of my... Um, main hopes for stopping Began because I was like she's a draw machine. She's, she's drawing. good. She <laughs> is. Good. No, yeah. she's such a good player. Um, and she was just drawing everyone, playing solid chess. And I was like, she's got this. My girl won't let me down <laughs> <laughs>
0: what she did
1: <do> that game <laughs> against nazi it wasn't like i when i was watching it live i was like yeah you're just gonna this is the game is over you have two bishops and everything but then when i s- looked at it after with an engine it was like this is not so simple and she has that g4 h3 around your king and like your king's also so i was a bit surprised that uh, that it's not as easy as it looks did yeah. you also feel like you were super super close to winning that one
2: i honestly i thought i was like breathing after i took on c5 um but yeah she had this she had this really nice idea of g4 h3 which i really underestimated and then um queen e7 bringing the queen back to the uh to defend her pawns and you know the end game wasn't super clear for me after i didn't immediately exchange queens um so yeah that one was surprising to me i remember i also looked at it with the engine and it was like maybe plus two it was like the bad engine on chest 24 mm-hmm. so i wasn't trusting too much into its depth um but yeah it was a little unclear but I, you know i also felt that <laughs> this is a super easy position um i don't know i couldn't shake that vibe off so i was really disappointed in myself i kind of felt that i let everything slip and i kind of thought that that game was going to go two out of two and i would be you know done for um so then so then I was so, <laughs> so upset. Um, I was, yeah, I don't think I really did that much that night. I should have like been prepping and stuff. But I was being sad, watching Netflix. <laughs> you know, there were a few times when I raged by hitting things with my pillow. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. okay. That's the rage.
1: I like it. Is yeah. that how you get your frustration out in general? Like, do you need an outlet for it? Like sports or, or hit, hitting something with a pillow? <laughs> this was my
2: first time actually, you know, I was... looked at my pillow and I was like, I have to hit something, but I I don't like actually like destroying things. So like if I just hit a bunch of things with my pillow, they'll all be fine. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) That's interesting. You you both said that the most difficult moment of tournament was a draw. Sometimes those are the most frustrating, right? Especially the ones when you're completely winning and you're like, this was all my mistake. I've done this so many times. I've won this type of position so many times effortlessly. And then uh, I don't do it maybe because of nerves. It doesn't feel that bad when, you you know, you lose a game. Maybe your opponent just played good. Obviously, uh, it doesn't feel good, but it's not the same. It's not as frustrating. That's interesting. Um, How do you hype yourself back up after you externalize your emotions by hitting stuff?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do I really do? Honestly, this is like a question that I've still been trying to figure out, but... Mostly once I get my frustration out, I'm kind of like, okay, tournament's not over yet. Um, there's still, you know, a lot to play for. I think not going to go two out of two. All I have to do is make sure that I play well, you know. You know, she does go 10 out of 11. If I can match her pace, then at least I'll gain a ton of rating. Mm.
0: <laughs> so you always find uh, the uh, full side of the cup, yeah?
2: I try. the
0: empty one. How about you?
1: I think it's like if, if someone's going 10 out of 11 and I don't win because of that, it's, that feels better than if, let's say, nobody's on form and and I just didn't play well myself. Right. But if I'm having a great tournament and someone just, like in 2018 when, when Sam won, mm-hmm. and I had a good tournament, I was like, okay, I mean, I did the best I could for the most part, and Sam just had like an amazing event. It feels a bit better. Like at least you were fighting for it the, the whole way. Best. Yeah, you did your, especially if you win like your last few games, because those are the most critical ones, right? and then the other person also wins all their games like okay what can you do right yeah you you did what you had to do it just didn't pan out
2: i feel like this rarely happens for you fabi because in like a tournament, i'm always sort of replaying my worst moments there are like so many positions where you know i should have been able to convert i should have been able to like hold a draw that sort of thing i feel like your play is always like super precise so you're like yeah, no, I've I
1: I, I've messed up enough to I, I've <laughs> I've had I've had plenty of those those times too. Yeah, a lot of, but that's like normal for like there's no way to avoid it. I think everyone has those those moments when they're um, they're just yeah either they they choke at the last minute or or someone just plays better. I mean we all have those painful memories. It's what can you do about it? There's also the good memories, so you got to balance those out, I guess.
0: But I have to say, I think precision was definitely on your side tournament we were looking at i mean i was doing commentary and we were looking at all of your games with the engine and it was so precise um and it felt like that throughout the year we've traveled to norway together i've watched your games closely and in most of them i've seen a lot of precision do you feel that that's coming back as
1: well not really mm. i don't know I, I wasn't feeling that but first hand doesn't
0: feel uh as 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 powerful huh
1: yeah, that's, that's not, that wasn't my impression. But I, I think I'm creating chances as well. That's the main thing I've been doing. And mm-hmm. not always taking them, but at least creating them. That's the, the first step. Right. Second step is to actually take them. But, uh, <laughs> can't do everything right.
0: What did you feel um, went right, went wrong this tournament for you? Um, did you feel uh, you've got some luck, or maybe you felt that you were precise throughout your victories?
2: Oh, for sure. Luck was on my side. Um. You know, I think leading... Let's say accept
0: that game against La yeah.
2: Okay, yeah. Accept that game. Um, You know, I would say things sort of balanced out somewhat. I missed, like... um, You know, I was... Round one, I was, like, totally lost against Irina. Managed to fight back, and then I was winning. Didn't manage to find the win, and then we drew. So I was like, okay, that seems reasonable. Um, Next few games were good against Begum. I didn't realize that that would be, like... Probably my most important game of the mm. tournament, <laughs> mm. and you know I think I missed like some chances for a big advantage in the middle yeah. game, and then at the end I could have, uh, I think, won outright in the end game, and I totally misplayed that as well. Um, and you know I was a, I was a little upset after that game, but I was like, it's okay. I think I'm playing good chess. Um, and then let me think. Yeah, I should have lost that game against Atusa, um, probably. Should have won against Nazi, should have have drew against Rui Yang. So, you know, score kind of evens itself out in the end.
0: It balances itself out. Yeah, I have this distorted view uh, sometimes because I watch everything with the engine. Whenever you're outside, like spectators, chess fans in general, whenever they watch games, they always watch it with the engine. And then you get this distorted view. You don't understand the feelings that go into a game.
2: Yeah, I honestly feel like... Sort of at my level, not your level, of course, Bobby. Um, but a lot of the time it's about getting a practical edge, getting, like, a position where you can fight for chances because I know my opponent's not going to find, like, you know, the top engine moves and just kill me. And that's, like, part of why I play the King's Indian because my engine hates it. But, you know, I know that it gives me good attacking chances as black, and it's hard to actually face that over-the-board um,
1: I think this is applicable to to most levels, though. Like the the practice. Actually, there's a game of yours that I was impressed by. That I feel I actually wanted to ask you about it. your game against Ana, which was near the end. It felt like because she was a little bit in shaky form. That like watching it during the game, that you were trying to put the pressure on. Did you feel like her psychological uh, vulnerability or or like the the practical element of it during that game?
2: I think. Um... You know, I wasn't focusing too much on her tournament. I knew that she hadn't played great, but mostly, you know, I know Anna as a player, we played a few times. I knew that if I, like, sort of applied the right amount of pressure in the right place, and then she would eventually crack under that. And so my goal in that game was to, you know, not take any big risks because I'm not, I'm not trying to lose and, uh, you know, set myself back further. But, and I was okay with a drop, but I felt that, you know, I should kind of make her work for it a little bit so some practical chances um, but that game was also a little risky because I think she had some moment she could play Queen C5 all of my pawns are falling um, but luckily it didn't happen <laughs> but you also
1: had the time match like a big time match right? yeah that, I think that gives you a buffer in case anything goes wrong as well yes
2: I I think that was also uh, you know partially Ana kind of gets into time trouble a lot and that was also why I was you know trying to put the pressure on because I know that She'll overthink um, and you know eventually we'll get to a position where she can't find the right moves.
0: How do you juggle that factor, um, the time travel situation? You know that some of your opponents, and I want to talk about that game against uh, Darius. Not an easy game, they didn't get a good position out of the opening with the white pieces, but still you had that in the back of your mind that if you get the position complicated, if you keep it complicated going into the first and the second time control, he will probably get into some uh, sort of danger because of his time situation. How do you juggle that?
1: Yeah, I have some experience playing Darrow, and I feel like time trouble is definitely one of his uh, weaknesses. That He plays very well, but he does tend to get into time trouble, so that's something that that you can use. And that's also why I thought of your game against Ana, because it's like if you know someone gets into time trouble, you can try to use that against them, even if, like let's say, the game isn't going your way necessarily. But... Especially if your opponent's getting ambitious, but they're also getting into time trouble. That's like a very dangerous place to be in because you they want to win. But if once it gets messy, like if you want to win, it always gets messy. And then they're not going to have much time to calculate, right? So um, so I had some hope that even if I would get in trouble, that there would still be a way out of it. Mm-hmm. But then once we got to the second time control, I thought like there's no chance I'm winning this because now we're at the second time control. Yeah. And the position is like dead it's equal. Dry. Yeah, it's like dry <laughs> as as it could possibly be. Um,
0: that's actually what I said during the commentary. I was like, if he makes it to 40 moves, then this game is over. It's just going to be a draw. That was there's, also my feeling. There's no way he manages to complicate a position after this. Yeah. It's yeah. like queen, knight. Actually, I thought that maybe black has some chances to get something on the king's side, if anything, right?
1: I didn't feel the danger. I thought like one of us is going to have a perpetual check. Like that's how the game ends. Someone has a perpetual check. But yeah. then he started to overthink things. And I started to get a little bit like, oh, it also gave me confidence that he's worried about something. I'm not sure what it is, but he's worried about something. And, and once he gets into time trouble, weird things could happen. So I, that was my hope as well.
0: What about your mind games? What, what type of mind games do you play when, when that's a situation?
2: Hmm.
1: When you start feeling
0: that your opponent starts hesitating.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that I like to do when my opponents get low on time, and this is probably not super great, but I play like very quickly as well it's almost like I'm also in time trouble uh, just because I don't want to give them that extra time to think and you know this has happened a lot before where in games you know I play quickly I kind of lose the edge in a position and then I actually do have to think my opponents relax now because you know they're better <laughs> um, that game
0: against Alice uh,
2: yes see. that was a big one I think also just like I recently played in some open Swiss's where this also happened um, but overall in my game against Anna. I think that was the main one where my opponent got into, like, severe time pressure very early. And I just, you know, I was like, okay, this position seems easy enough for me to play. My moves are pretty obvious. Um, she seems to be a little frazzled and confused about what exactly to do. So hopefully, you know, if I keep playing quickly, I won't blunder anything. uh <laughs> she'll be the one blundering.
1: Mm-hmm. That's actually a quality that you share with Begum. Like, both of you tend to play very quickly to put the pressure on, I've noticed. Uh, But for her, it didn't work out in that very important game against Irina, right? In the penultimate round. Because she was also trying to play in Irina's time trouble. Yeah. But do you feel like it's a double-edged sword that sometimes it works out very well, sometimes it just leads to disaster potentially?
2: For sure, because, you know, if you're playing as quickly as your opponent in time trouble, then that means you're, like, as likely to and miss something um, yeah I know it's also quality of Begum's usually you know we're both pretty fast players so we try to avoid getting into time trouble it's actually like something that annoys me <laughs> about her as a player because I always like feeling that psychological edge of like having the time advantage even if you know it's not a big deal to my opponent it kind of bolsters me a bit
0: yeah it gives you a buffer zone yeah as, as you mentioned just a buffer zone to Stop and think whenever you decide to stop and think, yeah. right? Sometimes it's in the right moment. Sometimes you mess it up <laughs> and you get a completely losing position. It happens. Um, speaking of, and I want to take it back a, a few notches, you mentioned that after that draw, you started watching Netflix, not really uh, preparing too much, but you're also going to Stanford. You're also like a full-time academic beast. <laughs> uh, how do you, uh, you relate the two? How do you combine the two?
2: I'm super behind on my schoolwork right now. (laughs) Um, I think earlier in the tournament, though, I was doing a good job of keeping up. Once the pressure got to me, you know, I felt all my energy should focus on chess. But um, in the beginning, yeah, I actually didn't prep at all. Um, I would sort of stay doing homework until like 3 a.m., wake up at 11, um, poke around my files for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half and so, and go to the round. I think it was only in like the last few rounds when things are really starting to weigh upon me that I was like, I have to prep. Um, none of my prep worked out though, actually. So it was kind of all for nothing.
1: <laughs> I think it also like the prep helps you mentally get ready for the game. It's like prepare yourself mentally. Like I have to fight now, so it's not always like sometimes I feel like I don't get any of my prep on the board. But still, the fact that I did that work, it's like at least I'm not relaxed and. Like going to the beach before the game or something, <laughs> but uh, I, I noticed that um, like also I think Jennifer mentioned this that like it was very difficult to combine the two. But you seem to manage it so well, like you the the school life plus the chess life as well.
2: I think part of it is because you know difference between Jennifer and I. I know she's been really struggling with the schoolwork as well. Um, is that first of all Stanford starts super late. In the school year it starts you know late september Mm. and so when i came here to play i was missing first two and a half weeks of school or so but you know first week syllabus week second week people are kind of settling into the classes and stuff um so i felt you know things weren't really ramping up i think for her it was like midterm week Mm. um yeah another thing is that all my instructors are super great and you know they recorded lectures for me um All my homework could be submitted remotely and stuff like that. So kind of managed to make it work.
0: It feels like that changed a little bit since the COVID years, right? Uh, Because before, you know, online submissions were not necessarily the norm. Nowadays, it feels like online submissions might be, in fact, the norm Uh, in a lot of classes. And a lot of professors are kind of manageable in that regard. Um, It helped us. It helped me, myself, uh, with my program as well, because a lot of my students are uh traveling a lot so it's easier i guess yeah for sure yeah speaking of that speaking of college chess when is stanford getting a chess program (laughs) i mean you guys have had so many uh so many good uh, good players you had narodisky he just graduated you got uh alexandra botas at some point like so many personalities in the chess world went through stanford negi at some point party marjan negi one of the youngest grandmasters in history
2: yeah, um we definitely have a pretty decent chess team, I think. Um you know, our first team last year was Bryce, uh Tiglana on board one on a GM, was, right? Yeah, he's a he's like Did twenty he four not his, quite his yet. GM norms or? not quite yet. Didn't you know? he
1: reach twenty six hundred at some point? No. Maybe he didn't make the norms. I think no, mm-hmm. no, I this twenty six hundred. I think I think I got the right guy. No, 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 no. Twice. He hit I know like sure twenty
2: five hundred. Then he know dropped sure.
0: 25,
1: yeah. 25. <laughs> Now he's like twenty four hundred. Okay, that was John Burke. Yeah. No, I know, I know who you're talking about. But I, I, I definitely got Another Bryce. Guy. Bryce Ticklon is not a name that you forget. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's an unusual name. <laughs> it that's is an, an un,
0: unusual name. Yeah. No, no, but I, I don't think he ever made twenty six. No, I, I think twenty five hundred, and then 2500? now he's like twenty four hundred. Yeah, he's like 24 and something 90? like that. Oh. 80, really?
2: I'm yeah. not sure. Last I checked. Yeah. <laughs> um we have him. We have Emily Nguyen, you know, has played the US women's yeah. a ton of times as well, you know, she's a FM.
0: Great player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Great player. Um we have me. <laughs> and then Yeah, uh we also have, you know, a few strong national masters as well and um you know Actually, I think probably the main tournament that we play is like the Pan Ams. Mm-hmm. Christian, yeah. you go there, of course. Of course, yeah.
0: <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I mean, you guys have so many uh, great players. You m- maybe miss one more piece, one more GM or something like that. And you have a competitive team in terms of making it to the final four, making it top uh, top best universities in terms of chess. At some point, that should matter, right? They should support that.
2: Yeah, right? I mean, it would be great if Stanford had... Uh, a chess program you should put pressure on them. <laughs> <Carissa>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I honestly think that you know, if somewhere, um, I think a wonder is also mentioning this to me. He's at U Chicago, um, yes. and he was mentioning U Chicago also has like a really good chess program, actually. Um, not program a team; they have like a wonder, they have like Praveen, Krishna, another GM. Um, you know, they have a ton of strong players, and so he was mentioning to me that you know, it would make like a big difference, sort of, to Young chess players in the U.S., I feel, if somewhere like UChicago had a chess program. Because, you know, I kind of, I didn't end up going to Mizzou because um, it's like Stanford, academics. Stanford is Stanford, yes. Yeah, yes, those sorts of, of things. Academics. But, you know, if somewhere, you know, UChicago, also grade great school, um, super strong academics, faculty, that sort of thing, research opportunities. And, you know, they also have a chess program. Then I probably could have picked that over Stanford or anywhere else I got into.
0: Right, right, right. And that's the thing. That's what we're missing in collegiate chess. Um, obviously, I think at Mizzou we're one of the biggest schools in terms of you know size. We're a public school, um, state state school, uh, and we didn't even have that before. Um, but we need one of these Ivy League schools to yeah, like close to Ivy League schools.
2: I feel like get
0: it, a chess program.
2: It's also kind of hard though because you you would need to be. Um, it appears to like such a small niche field it's like almost exclusively players from the u.s mm-hmm. you know um and you have to be also like a good enough student to be able to get in and then also join the chess program mm-hmm. so it's kind of like difficult to manage
0: well if you think about it what's um who Fan? found she was considering at some point going into um i think st louis university she was close to it but again most likely academics and the level of academics played into her decision. She ended up at Oxford. Oxford, She went to Oxford. Oxford. Yeah. So she was willing to make this push academically. And if you offer her the option of being a part of a chess program and continuing her chess career at the same time, then that's a win-win.
2: Exactly. So
0: if we can do that, I feel we're not only going to attract the 25, maybe early 26 hundreds, but even the top, top, top. 2700s that are 18 years of age. Then,
1: then you need money. Hmm? Then you need money.
0: Yes, but again, if you offer them like a big academic institution and a chess program to cover their expenses. No, no but, well, but the
1: push would need to come from inside, right? Right. right. Because you would need the money to, to start a program. To entice players of, of, uh, of 20, need- because 2700 level players are players who are professional chess players. You need to offer them a scholarship. Yeah, so full ride scholarship. It's going to be tough to convince them to um, either change their path or at least branch out into a different, potentially different direction, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, a lot of people are starting to see uh, the efforts and and the balancing act that you know guys like you, guys like Hikaru, guys like you as well. um, You're able to balance chess being a chess professional with some other path, right? Podcasting, yes, <laughs> yes, streaming, yes, podcasting. <laughs> you know, things of that nature. Um, you academically and still maintain the the level that you're at. So I don't know. The world is changing. It, it, it doesn't feel like you're supposed to do just one thing anymore, right? Um, so I so think... This,
1: this is getting deep, Christian. I know, I know, I know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with it. But, but speaking of normal life, do you... Do you struggle to get back into the normal routine after a tournament like this, after like a really intensive sort of chess, immersive experience like this?
2: Honestly, yeah, for sure. Um, I, after you a know, big tournament, especially a good tournament, I was like, I should just quit school and play chess professionally. <laughs> um, then, you know, sort of get back to normal life, writing essays, doing homework, hanging out with friends, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's like nice to be just a normal college kid I feel like stress. Um, chess puts so much stress on me, honestly. Uh, you know, in a tournament like this one, you know, to sort of feel that pressure—it's a lot, and <laughs> I wouldn't be able to play like another tournament right after, same way you are. Um, but yeah, I think my next event is a couple months away. So that's Which good. one is that? Uh, the US Masters okay. during Thanksgiving cool. break. Mm. Yeah.
0: And that kind of plays. Okay, I mean. He's able, I would assume, and I don't want to speak for you necessarily, but you're able to withstand the, the pressure and the stress because that's your profession.
1: I've been doing this a long time. You've been yeah. doing this a long time. That's your <laughs> and profession. And I wouldn't yet. say I always managed to withstand it, but I mean, that, that's a big part of it. Like the, the pressure of the event is pretty intense. Yeah. And at least like you're dropping your level. That, I think that happens to everyone. But to uh, at least maintain as much as you can when the pressure mounts, that's, that's a really big part of it for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for you, did you ever feel like chess was your profession or you were still in that period of time where you have the option of going, um, in an academic route as well?
2: Um, I think for a long time, I've just been super focused on academics. I went to, uh, you know, a great private school, um, in like the town that I lived actually. And so that was always sort of like my main focus, um, Definitely, you know, I was, there were like periods of time when I was considering going to a chess school or maybe like not going to college and just doing chess professionally. But eventually Stanford went out and, you know, I I kind of figured that after four years of college, you know, I could get a degree or two and then maybe I could get back into chess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah.
0: So right now chess is not the profession for you.
2: Yeah. Chess is... Not, uh, not really my number one priority but it's definitely still you know one of my favorite things to do when i have free time so i'm still trying to play tournaments trying to make my gm norms that kind of thing
0: what's your um degree
2: my degree what are you studying uh computer science Very Nice. yeah and then hopefully i can do a master's as well
0: are you worried about ChatGPT gpt stealing your jobs i'm hoping i'm hoping the stanford (laughs) cs brand
2: is enough uh to get me a job
0: that makes sense that makes
1: sense i like it computers are coming for us (laughs) they're coming for everybody let me tell you
2: everyone at stanford is going crazy because they're like chad gpt is gonna take all our jobs we can't major in cs anymore
0: right 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 no i mean look at some point they will do holograms of chess commentators (laughs) and i'm gonna be bye bye it's over well you Um, need to license
1: your image before that happens, I guess that's a yeah. good. I guess yeah. you can uh, you can uh, survive like that. That's what okay, they're doing now with one. the celebrities, right? They're yeah. creating uh, like avatars of them that you can interact with. Yes,
2: that's so dystopian. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's yeah. scary. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I saw this thing on TikTok. At some point, they have this programmed salesperson hologram of a salesperson that sells you stuff for like 24 hours, 24/7, nonstop. So you have somebody that looks like somebody. It's a hologram. It's an AI-fed um, program that sells you products twenty-four-seven. I mean,
1: this is like every every movie got it right. Yeah, every science fiction movie. This is this is like Blade have Runner. Learned nothing. Yeah. <laughs> how do they kn- How do they know? I, I don't know. Good imagination, I guess.
0: Uh, cool. What else do I have on my list here? Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about that moment. The youngest female player to defeat a GM, Alexander Ivanov, in <laughs> two thousand. What was it? 14? When you were ten. When
2: I was ten, yeah. You're ten,
0: yeah. Uh, how was that?
2: Um, my gosh, so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> ten years now. Um, let me think. What I remember. That was a big moment for me. It was like you know I didn't realize I was the youngest female to ever uh, be the grandmaster, but it was my first time being a GM, obviously. And I was a. Uh, so excited about it i was like 2100 at the time uscf
0: um uscf okay so that's yeah. like 2000 feet i barely had a Fide rating
2: there. at that point i was probably like 1800 feet eight. Wow. um yeah but it was just it was um it was one of the quicker time controls it was like an hour a little over an hour no second time control and ivanov also has this thing where he gets into <laughs> severe time yes. pressure um, he played the modern against me and you know back then I had like no idea what to do with opening theory I think he was trying to confuse me but he messed up a little in the opening gave me some extra tempy, and I just started attacking his king side and uh, he kind of collapsed after that and that was a that was a crazy moment for me because you know first time being a GM I always felt at that point that they are like infallible you know I was like mm-hmm. I can never be a GM I don't know how people do it <laughs> um first time that i felt that you know maybe i could be a gm mm. if i could beat one you know who knows uh, i remember my dad and i went to applebee's afterwards to celebrate it's like huge win and then <laughs> i had a really bad tournament i lost like the rest of my games
0: at <laughs> <laughs> least the uh, dinner at applebee's was worth it yeah nice 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 when did you beat
1: GM. actually remember i think our stories are almost identical like also <laughs> i was around the same age i don't remember exactly but around 10 years old i was playing Kevich, who um passed away uh tragically um, in 2006 but um but he was a very strong grandmaster, uh and it was also in a rapid time control and i don't really remember the game too well to be honest but <laughs> i just remember that that it was like at the Marshall chess club rapid rapid chess uh and yeah, it was it was definitely a a big achievement at the time. It felt like you know, really Very cool. that that first time beating a GM is always because they're yeah they're like these gods that you look up to and then then you realize that, that you human. can you can also beat them and potentially also be them one day.
0: So yeah. I actually don't remember that the first time I beat a GM. <laughs> Maybe that's why I never achieved these you know, heights uh, because I I don't know I didn't pay attention. I should have. Hmm. Now I feel bad about myself, <laughs> but you were you were a world junior champion, right? I was a world you uh, were world youth champion, world youth, nice world youth, not juniors. No, juniors is is tough. Juniors is tough. I mean, you saw how tough it, it was. You had a great tournament, and 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 still
1: tie breaks do not play your way, right?
2: Yeah, I've uh, never won like one of those. No, the world juniors, juniors so. or world youths. Me neither. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you had a you actually had a tough schedule because you we were playing the World Cup. We were both in Baku. And then World Juniors, and then here, that's almost back-to-back-to-back tournaments. I mean, there's some break in between, but that's a pretty tough summer schedule.
2: Yeah, I think, like, actually right before World Cup, I played, like, 30 games in 30 days. (laughs) Something Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, So I was playing, like, a bunch of Open Swisses, you know. And I think at the end of World Cup, I was like, okay, my sort of, like, summer stint of uh, tournaments has been over. How's my rating been? I took a look, I gained two points. Mm. I was like, Okay nice (laughs) Mm -hmm. a win is a win two two points is two points um yeah but there was a month-long break between world cup and world juniors um which is just you know exactly what i needed i don't actually need too long to sort of recuperate after an event so after a couple weeks i was like all right i'm ready to get back into it
0: you're you're still young (laughs) (laughs) you still have your energy actually i want to talk about um the game that you beat the world uh, champion at the time, um, Juan Jun at the Cairns Cup. I think it was the first edition of the Cairns Cup. Juan Jun was doing great in the event, uh, and then she played you with the white pieces, and then you played, I believe it was the French.
2: I played... Roy Lopez, but, you know, Roy one of Lopez. the weird ones with G6 and Bishop G7.
0: Right, right, right. It was a weird structure. Now I remember.
1: So you're trying to get the Kings Indian from any opening. From <laughs> any, <opening, laughs> any opening. I just Kings want, Indiana. you know, I'm like, <laughs>
2: my Bishop's on the long diagonal. I'm set. I'm good.
1: How was that? How was that victory?
2: Um, yeah, it was crazy. That was such a, first of all, it was a bad tournament in the beginning. I went like 0 for 4. Um, and I was like, wow, this is super embarrassing to be losing all of my games. You know, tournament's halfway done. And then I think I managed to bounce back, um, got two wins in a row, beat Arena, where I also fiend with my bishop. <laughs> so that was big. It was huge. Um, once I got my dark squared bishop along that tag, I was like, she's finished. <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually not a great game either. <laughs> and you know, kind of going into the round against Ju and Jean, I was riding that high a little bit, you know, I was, I'd been previously really down in the depths, in the trenches, mm. and I was back on the ups now. <laughs> um, so I was feeling good. I felt that I caught her out of the opening of this uh, surprise Ray Lopez, which, you know, it's supposed to be pretty unsound for Black, but I don't think she found the best reputation to it. And um, yeah, I think in the end it turned out to be a good game. There's like a chance that she missed to seize the advantage, and then from there, I was able to get a you know good pawn structure, a good good play on the queen side, um, and then all it just felt like all of my pieces were really flowing together and working well. Um, yeah, it was a huge victory for me. I think at the, at the time I was like, it's okay because I I'd, <laughs> I'd be in higher rated players before, so it's like it's okay. But emotionally, it was huge.
0: Yeah, yeah you don't realize the the weight of the moment in the moment, yeah. only after once it settles. Well, um, what I got from this is that you should never let Carissa fianchetto her push <laughs> just go B3 so, at move one or something like that.
1: That's a, well, there's G6, I I don't know if that will <laughs> cut it. How do you avoid it? We're going to have B3. Yeah, one B3. One B3, B3, Knight of six, six G6. G6. You, should be, you should be two, G6. Yeah.
2: You have to throw in like a G4 at some point, you know, get the dark squared bishop. Then you'll
1: Fiancetto your knight. Like we we'll we'll i've never
2: been killed my night before but you know could be dangerous
1: <laughs> could work out too i love it i love it
0: well guys congratulations once again thank you uh thank you. u.s championship three times two times
2: two hit wonder
0: that's that's pretty decent congrats guys <laughs> thank you and thanks for uh joining us
2: of course yes, thanks, thanks for having yourself.
0: me see you guys next time